You're listening to the IC interviews from Investors Chronicle. My name is Lauren Almeida, and today my guest is Sir Ronald Cohen, who is described as the father of British venture capital, having co-founded Apex Partners in 1972. For nearly 20 years, he's pioneered initiatives in the world of impact investing, including the Social Impact Investment Task Force that was created during the UK's presidency of the G8. In this interview, Sir Ronald explains how the environmental and social impact of companies can be quantified and even laid bare in their financial accounts. So yeah, first of all, thank you very much for taking the time to come on. Um, Impact is a really, really great read. I really enjoyed it. Um, And there's certainly a lot to discuss. Um, But but I guess, first of all, I wonder if you could explain for people who might not be familiar, what is impact investing and and where, where and how did the idea come about? Impact investment is investment that uh, seeks to achieve both financial and social and environmental returns. So unlike traditional investment where you would uh, typically expect uh, to look just at uh, the profit that an investment would make, here you also measure the impact uh, that the company you're investing in is having on uh, people and on the environment. Now, it used to be thought that you could measure nothing in the social area. Uh, In fact, we're proving that you can measure a lot in the social area. And you can look at um, a company, you can look at its uh, employment, you can look at its level of diversity, Uh, You can compare the diversity within uh, the company to the diversity uh, around it, uh, around its facilities, uh, and so on. You can attribute uh, to the lack of of diversity a cost, which is represented by the number of people missing at every echelon uh, of of the company and the salaries they would have got. Um, You can look at uh, gender... Uh, parity uh, in terms of employment and so on and so forth. So you can measure a lot. And then in the environmental area, we have four decades worth of measurement and science uh, and pricing of carbon emissions and other emissions uh, so that we can actually today publish uh, the uh, environmental cost of, of companies uh, in quite a, uh, an accurate uh, way. An initiative I'm involved with at Harvard Business School published um, uh, just uh, last week uh, uh, the environmental cost of 1,800 uh, different uh, companies. So I think our world is heading uh, to making investment decisions that are based not just on risk return, but on risk return and impact. And the watershed between risk return and risk return impact will be the publication of impact-weighted financial accounts. Um, and uh, in, in that respect, uh, there's a parallel with what happened in, uh, after 1929. What do you mean by that? So in 1929, after the Great Crash, investors realized that they had been investing in companies without understanding their true profits. Uh, because in those days, there were uh, every company could pick its own accounting uh, principles. There were no generally accepted accounting principles. And there were no auditors to verify 
the figures that companies were publishing. In 1933, the US led the way in introducing uh, both these things, standardized accounting principles and auditors. Today, post-COVID-19, we find ourselves in a situation where $30 trillion worth of investment is flowing to companies and that uh, seeks to achieve more than, than profit. Uh, environmental, social and governance investing, as it's uh, called, um, seeks to minimize the harm that is done socially and environmentally. Um, uh, and yet there is absolutely no transparency uh, on the real impact performance of companies. And so in the same way that in 1929 we brought uh, much more dependable uh, ways of measuring profit, we have to bring today much more dependable ways of measuring impact. Where would this data, what would it be based on? Who would provide the data and, and who would kind of finalize what the standard measurements would be? So where we stand today is that uh, of the 1800 companies in the data set that I mentioned at Harvard um, uh, Business School, uh, uh, the information is uh, coming from public uh, sources. Uh, so companies are publishing uh, quite a lot of information about their environmental and social uh, impact, but it's done in a haphazard way and, uh, and nobody is really bringing it uh, all together. We're, we're doing so for the first uh, time, um, uh, really. But what we would like uh, is of course for governments to mandate that companies publish all of the information around their material uh, impacts. Um, and if I'm right, uh, and governments realize that they actually need companies to deliver positive impact to help government uh, face the big um, challenges um, uh, that confront us uh, today environmentally and, uh, and socially, and then within the next few years, if it's like 1929, within the next two, three or four years, uh, we can hope that governments will mandate that every company has to publish impact-weighted accounts alongside its uh, normal financial accounts. So in a world of, of impact-weighted accounts, I guess private investors who kind of had a, who wanted to invest with their, with their conscience, as, uh, as it were, um, we kind of be looking for companies with a with a net positive impact or companies that are impact oriented. Um, how how do you distinguish between an impact oriented both business and and one that engages in philanthropy through its corporate corporate budget? So they're two very different things. Uh, the corporate budget wouldn't appear uh, uh, in the profit and loss statement of a company. Uh, except as a philanthropic donation. Mm -hmm. But uh, the impact that um, uh, uh, a company is having on the environment, so if you take a fossil fuel company, and I'm not in, in favor of investing in, in fossil fuels, as you probably know, um, but if you take um, a company like uh, Shell, uh, Shell is uh, through its operations only, uh, delivering about $23 billion worth of environmental damage a year. And that compares with $39 billion for ExxonMobil, 
and 13 billion uh, for BP. Now, if you're a private investor and you believe uh, you should continue to invest in fossil fuels, which I don't, um, then surely this would influence you. Um, if the profitability of these three companies was similar, um, you'd have to be quite perverse in your thinking to decide that you should invest in ExxonMobil rather than in BP um, uh, or Shell. Uh, so I think the big difference between uh, impact-weighted accounting and CSR is impact-weighted accounting really brings the impact performance of a company into clear perspective alongside its profit performance. CSR is a form of uh, brand enhancing philanthropy uh, that uh, companies in engage in. Um, it's not going to affect the value of a company. Impact weighted accounting will affect the value of a company, the value of a company uh, because investors will make uh, different choices. I think it's, it's interesting, the example of, of oil and gas. I wonder, is it possible for all companies or indeed certain sectors to have a, a net positive impact at all? Or is it just rather in, improving impact is what is what is important? So, so again, if you look at uh, the impact weighted accounts um, uh, data set uh, at Harvard Business School, which is publicly uh, available, um, you will see that uh, impact varies by industry hugely. Uh, the construction industry, the chemical industry, the fossil fuel uh, industry are obviously big creators of negative environmental uh, impact. Uh, the pharmaceutical industry, uh, lesser. Uh, the paper industry, uh, more so. Um, so it's in the nature of certain activities that they create more negative impact. Um, within each industry, though, the really striking thing from uh, the data is the huge uh, variability of impact performance, such as the figures that I just gave you uh, with regard to um, ExxonMobil, Shell and BP. Um, but you can take uh, the chemical industry you can look at uh, three companies. Uh, Sasol in South Africa uh, has $12 billion of sales and its environmental damage uh, each year is bigger than its sales at $17 billion a year. You can compare that with Solvay, European company, where its environmental damage on sales of about 12 billion, again, is about 3.7 billion a year, 29% of sales, uh, rather than 130% of sales like Sasol. And then if you compare it with BASF, which has five times the sales, uh, it delivers $7 billion of environmental damage, which is equivalent to about 10% of its sales. So you can begin to analyze impact in the same way that we analyze profit. I thought, I thought as well that it was, it was interesting, um, kind of looking at impact-oriented businesses. Um, the book mentioned Tesla and uh, Elon Musk. Um, and I thought, I thought as well that it was interesting that ES, so ESG ratings for Tesla have been, have been mixed, kind of depending on what, what they were looking at. So there have been 
some questions over um, the environmental cost of its manufacturing and its electric vehicles are obviously more environmentally friendly than, than some other alternatives. But I wondered how then would impact uh, weighted accounts, how would they relate to ESG ratings? What do you think the relationship between the two would be? So, so first about Tesla, uh, the point that I make in my book, Impact Reshaping Capitalism to Drive Real Change, is that it is possible for impact companies uh, which have a, an objective to, in the case of Tesla, to deliver environmental improvement, um, to create huge value as they deliver impact. And I don't focus on the total impact of, of Tesla. Uh, I focus on the fact that uh, through the actions of one entrepreneur, one company, um, uh, uh, we have seen a shift in the whole of the automobile industry in the direction of, um, of electric vehicles and you know, hybrids on, on the way to fully electric um, uh, vehicles. Um, so in impact-weighted accounting, you would take into account uh, what um, environmental damage was caused by the extraction of minerals to manufacture the batteries. You take into account the labor practices of a company. And Next year, uh, the Harvard Business School initiative will be adding product impact and employment impact to uh, environmental impact. Now, I think when we come up with impact-weighted accounts, all of the rating agencies are going to base their analysis on that. And we will begin to shift from the rather general qualitative assessment of companies' impact to a real measurement of what you were saying. Uh, is it going to be net positive impact? Uh, and if so, how, how great is it compared to others in the same industry and across other industries? So do you think that there is a, there is a partnership to be had with, with ESG ratings or do you think that eventually impact rated accounts would sort of replace it? Well, I think um, ratings will always have a role um, to play. Uh, just as you have ratings of companies, even though we have very sophisticated financial accounting, it's an additional tool. The problem with ratings is that you can have a high rating for environmental, a low rating for uh, social, uh, and, you, and you don't know what the net is. Impact-weighted uh, financial accounts give you the net because you monetize both the social and the environmental impacts, and you're able to say at the end of the day, this company is a net positive contributor or a net um, negative uh, detractor. So I know, I know we focused um, mainly on, on investing, but the book is also about how impact could change capitalism and could change our economies. Um, and I know that there have already been some mechanisms that have kind of already created a, a tangible effect on, on people's lives. Um, so, for example, through uh, rehabilitation of people coming out of prison. Um, I just wondered if you could explain social investment bonds and, and how they work. Absolutely. So we've typically uh, helped charitable organizations as a philanthropist by giving them money and not really measuring what they do. Uh, the result of that is that most charitable organizations, in fact, almost all charitable organizations, share two characteristics across the whole world. 
they're small and uh, they have no money. Uh, and we tried starting in 2000 to find ways of connecting investment and charitable organizations so that they could grow like businesses basically by raising investment capital with a long-term um, time frame. Um, and in 2010, we had a breakthrough when we issued the first social impact bond to help prisoners at um, Peterborough Jail um, uh, after their release stay out of jail. As you probably know, 60% go right back to jail within 18 months of, of, of release. In order to achieve an improvement, uh, we invented a new security, uh, the social impact bond. So five million pounds was raised. It funded delivery organizations which were working with the prisoners, uh, delivering services to them, uh, had done so for, you know, for decades in, in, in uh, some uh, cases. And these organizations signed an agreement, basically, um, with uh, the uh, the investors and the organization signed an, uh, an agreement with the uh, Ministry of Justice, which basically said, um, if you reduce the number going uh, back to prison uh, by more than 7.5% uh, over a period of five years, then we will pay you your investment bank, and then we will pay you uh, a yield on that investment that increases with your success. In the event, five years out, the Peterborough SIB, as it's become called, uh, the Peterborough SIB paid out 3.1% a year uh, in addition to the return of capital uh, because it had achieved a 9.7% reduction in the number of prisoners going back to jail. Now, in those days, it looked like the financial instrument uh, that uh, charitable organizations needed because if they can deliver an attractive return, they can go back to the investors uh, and, uh, and raise more money. And so it can fund their growth and uh, their success depends on rehabilitating prisoners in this case or reducing the number of homeless or number of pre-diabetics becoming diabetics or dropouts from school or whatever it is, over 15 different social issues today, unemployed youth getting into jobs. Um, uh, you, 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 the, you know, the better you do at, uh, at uh, helping uh, people, uh, the better you do financially. Now, what's interesting about the social impact bond is that it's the first time we've had the financial security that optimizes risk, return and impact. And then uh, when we began to see the social impact bond spread and through the work of the G8 task force in 2013 and 14, we began to realize our whole world is moving in the direction of optimizing risk return impact. Young people don't want to work for polluting companies or companies that are employing child labor. Um, investors don't want to invest in them. Talent doesn't want to work for them. And the reality is today uh, that the governments need companies to bring solutions, not to create problems, which governments have to tax everyone in order to try and remedy them. So the social impact bonds uh, 
exemplified impact thinking that you can optimize risk return impact you can deliver attractive financial returns the average return on on a portfolio of 40 social impact bonds is about eight percent gross in the uk um, the bridges uh, social impact bond fund has uh, you know has been delivering that it has two funds now and it's a very attractive return for, for, for an investment that doesn't go up and down with the stock market or with um, with interest rates. And I suppose that the idea is that if you if you don't make returns, it's kind of, it can kind of be viewed as a as a charitable donation to a, to a good cause. Exactly. In a way, you're you're hedged. If you're successful, you get a return, and you've helped people. If you fail, you know you tried to help. So investors in in instruments like the social impact bond would be primarily motivated by by altruism and i i think you use a great expression of, about impact investing being the invisible heart of the market and I, I thought it was it's interesting kind of capitalism needing needing a revamp um and where do you think this fits historically how is this a reaction to to the 2000, 2008 financial crisis and where does it fit in terms of the world being turned on its head by coronavirus? Well, first of all, just on one statement you made, I believe that optimizing risk return and impact can deliver better returns than optimizing just risk return. Mm -hmm. The reason is that um, you minimize uh, when you look through an impact lens at your investments. Uh, the risk of a, a company being deserted by its talent, its consumers, or uh, being um, uh, deserted by its investors uh, because it's doing the wrong thing. And uh, you also, of course, avoid the risk of regulation and taxation, which um, we're beginning to, you know, to see increasingly, um, uh, is increasingly high. Uh, for companies in the fossil fuel um, uh, area. At the same time, it opens the door to new sets of opportunities, um, serving underserved populations at scale, uh, which you wouldn't have thought of um, had, uh, had you not had impact uh, in mind. Uh, and if you remember in the book, I, I give an example of a company that has um, uh, developed a pair of spectacles for the blind, mm. uh, which whispers into their ear the page of the book they're holding or the banknote they're holding in their hand uh, and so on. Uh, there are 35 million blind people in the world, 250 million uh, visually impaired people. Uh, but if you ask yourself the question, um, uh, how can the impact of this company uh, improve the maximum number uh, of, of, of lives, and then you say it's by using its uh, technology, perhaps, uh, to help the 800 million illiterate adults in the world uh, to read. You know, and so all of a sudden you've defined a market of 1.1 billion uh, people instead of 300 million people. So I think it's very important to understand that this notion that um, most of us have uh, that uh, because there's something philanthropic about doing good and doing well, you're bound to make less money. That notion is wrong. In my view, as 
Professor Michael Porter, uh, you know, eminent strategist, again, at Harvard Business School, um, uh, has said, uh, I think impact is really going to be the big disruptor and, uh, and it's going to be the way in which companies are going to overtake others, uh, just as they did through technology uh, in, you know, in the past three or four decades. Uh, the same is going to be true of impact in, in the decades uh, ahead. Uh, those companies that don't incorporate impact into their activities are going to be are going to be overtaken, uh, basically. So to go back, do do you think that it does relate at all this this idea that capitalism needs to be rethought and companies need to think about their impact? Um, does it relate at all to to the two thousand eight crisis? And yes, I think it it relates to inequality as well as to environmental damage. Uh, we came out of 2008 with even greater inequality than we had before it. Uh, we've seen um, a violent rebellion uh, in, with the Gilets Jaunes in uh, France. Uh, we've seen it in Chile, in the Lebanon, even the 2016 referendum on Brexit in the UK. Uh, it, its result was influenced heavily by the inequalities. Uh, and the frustrations that these inequalities uh, caused among uh, swathes of, of the UK's population. And I think COVID-19 risks doing the same again. Coming out of COVID-19's uh, crisis, um, we're going to see even greater inequality and we're going to see the most vulnerable uh, hit the hardest yet uh, again. And so, if governments are going to be heavily indebted after COVID, and you're going to have very high levels of unemployment and, and, and a horde of, um, of uh, social issues to contend with, how do you cope? Uh, well, the only way you can cope is by bringing investors and companies to help solve the problems alongside government. And that's why I think we will get to impact-weighted accounts and we will turn our economies into impact economies that optimize risk-return impact because we have to do so uh, out of necessity, uh, no longer out of choice. Great. Well, I think that is kind of our time, but it's really, really interesting conversation. So thank you for coming on. It's nice to end on more of a pragmatic note rather than all doom and gloom. So yeah, impact investing, way to go. Fantastic. 